0: Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where we try our best to get people to walk toward the love, pure love of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Let's begin with a prayer. We need it. Father, we uh, seek you in spirit and truth. We pray that you'll help the uh, discussion tonight, the message to come through uh, clearly, and that uh, whatever is right with it will remain. Whatever is not will be forgotten. Bless Seth and Wendy and Mary and Kathy Maggs behind the scenes doing all this stuff to keep the show going and help our viewers who are seeking to uh, hear with your ears and not man's. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, the fourth and final part of Hear Me Out. I've begged you to just give me four parts. And uh, next week, we're going to get into our direct discussions about Mormonism and Christianity, the institution of Mormonism, and the people therein. Um, Listen, uh, some things are going to happen with the show. One, we're going to start pre-recording interviews and inserting them, and those of you who subscribe will get notice of these interviews as they come up with different people. We're not going to be showing those interviews on Tuesday nights. We're going to give them to you uh, streaming online uh, on Thursday nights and Friday nights or Saturday nights. So you're gonna get more from the Heart of the Matter uh, YouTube channel than before. Additionally, starting next week on Monday night, we're going to do half of Heart of the Matter that we do on Tuesday night. So what's gonna happen is, you're going to get on your device notice that the first half of the show is gonna to come to you and you're gonna be able to watch it on a Monday night. And I'm gonna give you the meat of the show that night. And I'm gonna be telling you, listen, if you wanna talk about this topic, Call in tomorrow night, Tuesday, and then we're going to show up here live Tuesday night, open up the phone lines, read emails, talk a little bit more about what the subject was before, and answer your calls. So we're splitting it up, we're we're shortening it up for people, and we're also uh, giving time for people to uh, think about the concepts and then call in or write in, write in on screen, and we'll read those comments and address them as they come. It's going to make it a little bit more interactive. So just wait for that. Also, Seth has put an audio version of our book, Knife to a Gunfight, on YouTube. And you can go on there, and he's done it by chapter. And if you really want to understand the thought behind what we're talking about, the philosophy behind subjective Christianity over objective religion... Take a few minutes out of your week and just click on a chapter, and you can—you don't even have to listen to them in order if you don't want, but they give you a chunk of information. Uh, some chapters take 20 minutes, some four or five minutes, but it's free. They're informative, and I'm personally pretty proud of the content that's in that book. Knife to a Gunfight in audio form, chapter by chapter, just go to Heart of the Matter, channel on YouTube with Sean McCraney and you can get it While you're there take a take time to subscribe to subscribe with us and uh, we're going to unleash this new information to you. If you subscribe you get an automatic notice of that. Finally check us out on Instagram and Facebook and and Twitter of course and if you wish join us on Sundays or in the archives where we teach verse by verse through books of the New Testament. You can join us live on Sundays at 10 or 2.30 as we teach through the Bible, or you can go into the archives. Again, all free, easy, uh, accessible, and we think informative. Finally, this coming Sunday, September 1st, here at the Murray, Utah, church studio, right where I'm sitting, we do our annual open water baptism. We used to do them in, in the parks, and we called them Heart in the Park. We have moved to Heart in the Parking Lot. And you're welcome to come and participate. And oh, we have a, a trough sitting right down below me. We fill that thing with water. You show up with a towel and, and whatever you want to be baptized in. Anybody can baptize you in any way you want to be baptized. Immersion, sprinkling, what in whatever name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus' name. In fact, if you want to do proxy baptisms for your dead family, come on over and we'll throw that in the mix. Oh, I know some antennas have gone up on that one. I mean, why not? Let's compete with everybody. (laughs) If someone takes me up on that, we just might do it just to see. You know, I don't know. Anyway, uh, join us Sunday, 1130 here right after our meat, uh, milk service at campus. Okay, parts one and three presented last three weeks. We've tried to lay out what we see as the biblical worldview In doing so, I have suggested that material religion has been put away, done away with by God as evidenced by what he said he would do to material religion and then what he said he would do after material religion was destroyed. And so when he destroyed the consummate material religionists on earth, the Jews who had a material nation, genealogies, a temple, dress code, dietary laws, animals with real material blood and a Messiah that was coming and books written on material paper, uh, papyrus. God shook that, that age down to nothing and the faith, according to God in Jeremiah 31, 31-34, was now going to be individual, between God and people, individual people, where he would write his laws on their hearts and on their minds, and he would be their God and they would be his people. That is the ecclesia. That is the church now, not institutions and what men have made. And we have said that as a result of him wrapping up that former age, Satan and hell have been cast into the lake of fire. Jesus has had total victory. And as a result of doing that last week, we showed through Scripture how God through His Son, has saved everybody from hell to heaven. That is the principle. Now, uh, that's a tough one for people to accept. It's new to some of you, but I didn't create it. It's been around a long time. Many people have looked at it, uh, but most don't have eyes to see. They refuse to see it, which is unfortunate because it leaves most clinging to an antiquated form of relationship with God. It leads them clinging to think that they have to go into a church and they have to get absolution from a priest or go to confession to a bishop or let their pastor tell them how to live their life. When God gives the Holy Spirit to direct the individual, this is subjective Christianity, and tells them how to live and you're responsible for that faith that you've embraced. When a person says that God has saved everyone from hell to heaven, which I said last week, That statement in the minds and hearts of most people Even some educated scholarly people Translates to this idea of universalism Which is the idea that all people go to heaven Jesus doesn't matter Nothing matters because it's all done And so therefore why do anything more? This is the idea that comes from what I said last week when we stopped I mean, I have a critic named Isaac. He lives in Ogden, Utah, and he sent me this email, and it says, If the whole world is saved, then quit what you're doing. You're wasting your time getting attacked by LDS and real Christians for nothing. Better to resign from ministry altogether. Now, that's what Isaac takes from the idea that if God has saved everybody through his son, then, Sean, you're wasting your time. Quit ministry. You know, what are you doing? You're you're, you're wasting your breath, right? The assumption made by Isaac is that being saved from hell to heaven is all that matters in the scope of Christianity. Christianity. That's what he's tacitly saying to us. This view is so completely wrong with what Scripture says that I'm surprised he would even make it. I think the guy considers himself somewhat of a a scholarly dude, and I'm surprised he would even make it, that if God has saved the world from sin and death and from hell, then nothing else matters. There's so much more that God intends for those who choose to receive His Son by faith. So, so much more. There's not much more for creations who reject His Son by faith and live their life and are saved from hell to a heavenly realm. There's not much more for them. But Scripture talks about so much more for those in this life who freely choose Jesus as the Messiah by faith and to walk in him. So, Isaac, he appears to assume that I'm wasting my time and getting attacked for nothing and I should resign from ministry altogether. But you see, there's no reason under the sun according to Isaac to have a ministry out reaching out to others with messages that Jesus saved the world. That's stupid if they've already been saved and and Uh, Spending time challenging other churches who are using people and putting them in bondage That's a waste of time It doesn't matter because everyone's been saved And that um, if you go and teach the Bible verse by verse to believers That's a waste of time because everyone's been saved And this is the mindset you confront when people have these blinders on And don't understand the Bible contextually So what is the point of this ministry? Why do we do it? Why share Jesus at all if the world has been saved from hell to heaven? And why teach Jesus to others who don't know about him here? And why follow Jesus and teach people how to better follow Jesus as believers? I want to use my last supper here, my last part of Hear Me Out, to present, and I'm going to say this in kind of tongue-in-cheek, the biblical plan of salvation. And explain, building off what we said last week Where God through his son has reconciled the world to himself And all people from Charlie Manson Sorry Charlie who, 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 The worst of the worst to the best of the best All have been reconciled to God Please hear me out one last time It'll be worth it if you do So after proving through scripture last week That God has saved the world Why does this ministry continue to talk about Jesus, to talk about the failures of institutional Mormonism, and to teach the Bible to people who believe in him? Let me begin with a familiar passage. You've all heard it. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. What it does is it's a description of Jesus and his kingdom. And I'm going to take the liberty to add my own emphasis to the wrong syllables in all probability. It says... For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's written by Isaiah to the Jews. Okay, Now listen to this. Of the increase, not the establishment, but the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Did you catch my emphasis? That speaking of his government and kingdom, which Jesus plainly told Pilate, my kingdom's not of this world, so you kingdom now guys who are trying to build his kingdom, the Mormons who are trying to build it here on earth, get, get a job. Because that is not what Jesus said. He said, my kingdom's not of this world. But of that kingdom, there would be no end of the increase. Of the increase of it. Okay? His kingdom... Again, not of this world, is ever increasing and will eternally continue to increase. How? How does does a kingdom increase? With buildings? It's not of this world. It increases with souls. His kingdom increases with souls coming to Christ. Eternally. It's going to forever grow. People coming to faith and bearing fruits of love Contribute to the increase Of the kingdom Christ set up When he came and he did what he did By God writing on the, uh, his laws On the minds and hearts of individuals More and more and more people Over the course of history The past 2,000 years Since Jerusalem was destroyed Have added to that kingdom This kingdom is not of this world Now Where is this kingdom? Where is it? Where's its headquarters? And of what does it consist? How do we find the answers to that? We know, as you know well by now, the former kingdom, remember we have a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem in his kingdom, but the former kingdom was all materially based and centralized in a place called Jerusalem, in Israel, and in a city called Jerusalem. It had walls around it, and they thought it was impervious to attack, and it had a basis of material affectations, like I said, and the dress codes and the law and all the material things. And it was completely destroyed, as you know, uh, as as a preface to the new kingdom coming with a new heaven and a new earth which is a Hebraism of just talking about a new economy with a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem is not going to be here like the Mormons teach. The new Jerusalem, we aren't waiting for it to be rebuilt in stones and more material uh, religion. The new Jerusalem is somewhere else. Galatians chapter 4, verse 26, Paul says, "...but Jerusalem which is above..." That one, the new Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. The old Jerusalem, brick and mortar, was leveled many times, has been taken over, all sorts, they're over there doing who knows what. The U.S. has partnered up with it because it wants to be politically you know, involved with evangelicals and that whole game shmame of who's a Jew and who's not, that's all over there, that's of this earth. But the new kingdom Is established in heaven It has a holy of holies there Where Christ entered and with his own blood And made propitiation for the sins of the world This new Jerusalem is above And Revelation describes her It's a her She's the mother of us all Paul says This new Jerusalem As the place where God And Christ dwell And it describes that new Jerusalem as a city Just like the former Jerusalem is With a, walls, with a wall around it And gates and the northeast, south and west Open day and night It is said to be a city that is brilliantly lit But has no sun or stars or moon Because the glory of it is from God and Christ That's where the light comes from in this Now a lot of this is, uh, is symbolic We don't really understand it It's using symbolic language, but this is how Scripture describes this kingdom that has been established spiritually on high. And those who go to that new Jerusalem are those who have placed their faith on His Son. Now last week we said that the whole world has been reconciled to God, but the book of Revelation describes where they go. Relative to the heavenly realms right in the face of these biblical descriptions we're able to reasonably see and understand that the world which has been saved by christ's finished work from hell to heaven there are two destinations for everybody who has ever lived on this world or who who will live on this world There's two destinations, two geographies, two locations. There are those who live inside the walls of the New Jerusalem on high, where God and Christ dwell. They live inside those walls. They are people of faith. They are the family of God. They are God's literal adopted sons and daughters. That's a reason to share Jesus and to talk, teach the Bible on this earth because God is still gathering the increase of that kingdom and people are going to it when they die. The other destination is for those who didn't care about having a relationship with God or being in close proximity to Him and Jesus after this life. And Revelation clear, clearly says that that group of unregenerated creations live in the heavenly realm outside the city walls of the New Jerusalem. The gates are open day and night, meaning to me that they can go in if they wanted, but apparently most don't, just like here. People live with believers and and non-believers exist and non-believers get along with their world and they do what they want to do without God and Christ in their life. And they roam around and do whatever they're doing. Well, the same is true with the heavenly realm. God is a God of love. He's created this earth. He puts people on here knowing that they're not all going to believe in him or follow him. In fact, most won't. But he has established a way for those who have placed their faith in his son and who follow him in love to die and go to a place where he is their father and their joint heirs with Christ. That's a very simple explanation that's right there in the Bible for anyone to see, right? As a side note, my friend Eric, he's a studier of near-death experiences. He told me once that many people who have near-death experiences talk about going to a heavenly realm and knowing or seeing a city in the distance. That's brilliant. And not only seeing that city, but something in them saying, I've got to get to that city. He told me that and he reads thousands of near-death experience accounts. I find that just a telling, fascinating fact. I don't know the, the validity of it, but that's included in many NDEs. I think that's interesting. So while all of God's creations have been saved from hell, hell and Satan have been cast into the lake of fire at the conclusion of the first age of material religion, only those who are his by faith and, its, and possess its accompanying agape love will inhabit the new Jerusalem where God and Christ dwell. Those who do not care and uh, those who do care and want to be in that presence, the difference is night and day. So people's complaint against what I'm teaching is you're not giving anybody a punishment for the evil things they've done. It's not a punishment. They're getting what they want, an eternity without God and Christ. And people who love God and seek Him and walk by faith are getting what they want a, a proximity with God in Christ. That's the difference according to the book of Revelation and other passages of Scripture. And it's for these reasons that we do ministry. First, to inform people who are interested in the truth that Jesus has come and He has saved the world from sin and death. And To believe on him, you have the opportunity to become an inhabitant of that new Jerusalem, that kingdom. Here, spiritually, and there, actually. We're also in ministry to help emancipate people from religious bondage, which I believe gets in the way of their relationship with God. And ultimately, we try to help set them free to what religion is doing to them when it has no right to do it. And the third reason that we're in, in ministry is to try to illustrate, like through the interviews we do with non-believers, and try to educate or instruct believers everywhere who are trying to understand how to be a son and daughter or daughter of God relative to what the Scripture says. That's, those are three good reasons to be in ministry relative to the idea that God has reconciled everybody to himself through the work of Christ. So we do this because his kingdom is ever increasing And with true believers coming into a relationship with God This is why we do it This explanation gives meaning to the last verse I read last week Where Paul, the laboring apostle Says in 1 Timothy 4.10 For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach Because we trust in the living God Who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. This verse, this very verse, we discover that when it comes to the living God, who is the Savior of all men, it says, that there exists a difference between the masses of men, his creations, who don't receive him by faith, and especially those who believe. We see in that passage a difference in relationship between those two groups. That's a massive difference that begins here in this life for Christians who walk by faith and continues, I suggest, in the next with the new Jerusalem being home to those who were His. God loves all. God blesses all. The good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent. God took care of every obstacle in our way A relative to sin and death Through the works of his only son And God being good offers through his spirit The opportunity for anyone constantly to come to him And experience love and light and freedom and joy And an opportunity to have relationship With their creator by and through Christ Like I said the differences between the two groups in heaven Are day and night from my estimation so, the salvation part for the world's complete. And that, that's what throws you know, evangelicals. Oh, well then why do anything? I hope I'm making some sense as to why. But amidst the inhabitants of this world, God by the Spirit through the finished work of His Son is seeking, the Spirit is seeking, anyone who has a heart for truth, anyone who wants more than this earthly existence. They want something spiritual to fill their heart. He is calling constantly to all, Join in my son's increasing kingdom Come to him by faith Right Those who do are his family And they're very different Human beings In the heart From his creations Uh, They're of all races All creeds All genders All two genders Maybe more I don't know All lifestyles All personal makeups And many times they sink to the bottom of the glass of humanity due to their humility. They aren't the ones at the bubbling, fizzy top that looks so inviting. They are not the ones that we readily see. These are a different group of people who are sons and daughters. They yearn for God. They talk to God. Wherever they're at, they're genuine. They're not feigning. They're not hypocritical. They operate by his love in them. And some are even trapped in the shackles of religion. Some can't break from what, how they were raised. And, and some have errant ideas about God. I may be one of them. I may not. You know, we, 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 we don't, we, we just, some have sinful thorns in their lives and some don't. But boy, do these sons and daughters have faith And boy, do they love. They are the grand realization, in my estimation, of God's purpose for the whole thing. That he creates beings in his own image, giving them the ability to choose, and he says, now freely choose me or don't. It's up to you. I'll love you unconditionally along the way, and I'll provide a place for you. But if those of you who really want a relationship with me, I have something for you. I have an inheritance for you because you want to be with me. You care enough to follow me and to love. I've seen them in the Mormon church. I've seen them in Catholicism, Orthodoxy. I've seen them in Hindus and in, in Buddhists. I've seen them in Muslims. Uh, all won by Christ. Don't get me wrong. All one by Christ, whether they know it or not. But all people of light and love, they all have that element to them. These are the folks that the heart of the matter ministry is seeking to serve. If you are outside that kingdom, I love you. I don't give a rat's ass about what you are all about. That's me speaking honestly. I don't care about the things of this world. I'll listen to you. I'll hear your opinions about there being no God. I'll hear your opinions about it's okay to be this or that Or whatever you want I'll talk to you I'll share Jesus with you But our focus are for sons and daughters Who seek him in spirit and truth In the Mormon church Especially from this show And anywhere else where they can be found I've met you religionists out there You know, I've met you And you dogmatists And you orthodox uh, Demanders of conformity I meet you guys, and all I can say is man, when I assess you compared to them, I don't see the love. I just don't see it. I mean, I don't, it just doesn't come through. What comes through is bitterness, meanness, judgment. I just don't see the love for everybody, which sons and daughters have. You love yourselves You love your religions You love your pet theologies And you love us versus them And to point the finger of, of, of judgment And sons and daughters it's, it's by their love that they're known That's what Jesus said So I'm going to go a little bit over I'm going to break our unwritten rule Because I want to take you through what the scripture says And this is where it's a payoff And you'll know it's not from me But I want to touch on what some biblical representations of what sons and daughters of God are. And first of all, there's a major difference in the Bible and in the Greek between a baby, an infant, a child, and a son and daughter. The Greeks saw them very differently. They have different words to describe them. Paul alludes to this in Galatians 4 when he writes, Now this I say that the heir... As long as he is a child, and that word in the Greek is a babe or an infant, differs nothing from a servant, those who are outside the city gates. Though he be Lord of all in terms of his future calling, but he or she is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father, meaning the king here in this example. Even so we, now he's talking about Christians, When we were children, still immature babes in Christ, having just converted, were in bondage under the elements of the world. We hadn't come out from them yet. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now he's talking about Jews here, but still the principles apply later on to others. That we might receive the adoption of sons. Going from a child, a babe, to the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Papa, Father. Wherefore, you are no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That's a very different picture From the masses of the whole world That are reconciled to God Through the finished work of his son That's a very different picture The idea here is that When God makes you a son or daughter You go from being a babe Fooling around and making messes To being his son and daughter And there's a huge difference in that Status in the Bible And among the Greeks The son and daughter position requires spiritual maturity which comes by a mature faith and a mature love that says all these differences have got to be set aside we've got to focus on him and love God's overall goal for his babes for his children for all his sons and daughters is for them to bear fruit of what of love fruit of the spirit is love Now, we don't have a, and I say this a lot, we don't have a vine with a little tendril coming out that's expected to hold a big clump of grapes. That tendril has to turn into a branch strong enough to hold fruit. So we're talking about maturation here of believers from being babes to being sons and daughters, all right? Conversion alone, the first step in this, is not the goal. It is not the goal. That is, that's like saying the goal of being a human is being born by your mother. That's the goal. And then let's all clap about the baby and hope it stays a baby forever. That's just the first step. There's a bigger goal for human beings to grow and mature and, and overcome and learn, right? Same with a Christian. That's why John, speaking of sons and daughters becoming, listen, becoming sons and daughters says, Speaking of Jesus in John uh, 1, 11 through 13, he, Jesus, came unto his own, and his own received him not, talking about the Jews. Okay, ready? Now he's talking about Gentiles and everybody else. But as many as received him, there is the faith part, the rebirth part, the babe part, to them gave he power to become. The sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, unlike all of those in the world who have been saved from sin and death by Christ's finished work, believers are all given the power. They're given the power to become. They aren't aren't given the status of son and daughter. They're given the power to become. A son and daughter. And that comes by maturation. And God is seeking for all his infant babes who have come through conversion and the Jesus experience to mature to the point where they become, through the power of God, sons and daughters who will inhabit his kingdom as his family. That's what we're talking about. It's a choice whether believers will use this power that he gives them at conversion. It's a choice. It's a daily choice. And whether they'll appeal to this power or not, that all believers, and it's a process that unregenerated creatures do not go through in this life. Understand, those who have have converted to Christ enter in with the power given to them to overcome. Those who do not receive Christ by faith in this world, who have been saved from hell to heaven, a heavenly realm, They never go through this process. They don't care. They don't have any maturation in spiritual things. God to them is irrelevant. They have their life, they live it. And God loves them. And we love them. But sons and daughters, they embrace that power God has given them. And they go and progress to becoming sons and daughters who can bear the fruit of love in this world just like his son did. People don't want to hear this. Christians want to hear it's all about the salvation experience. They want to go every Sunday and rejoice and Jesus saved me. Jesus saved me. Jesus saved you. Yeah. Okay. That's like being born from your mother. Now what? The scripture is replete with now what? From God. And you're kidding yourselves if you think it's otherwise. So, this process not by any stretch of the imagination, is fun. It's not comfortable. It's not comforting to our flesh. My flesh, sitting here talking to you, it wants to bang chicks and eat tacos and get drunk. And I'm telling you straight up, that's what my flesh wants. And you can see me go like this because sometimes my flesh loses the battle. My flesh wants nothing to do with the things of God. But when He entered me, He gave me the power... To become a son of his. And I have tried to elect to use his power to overcome that flesh and to stop banging chicks, eating tacos, well, maybe not eating tacos, and drinking myself uh, silly. You see, that's the thing. Our flesh suffers when it has to choose between itself and God. And so when he gives you the power to become a son and daughter of God, It's not a fun thing. Therefore, it's only received and embraced and used by believers who really love God. The people who say they love God, they don't do his will. They don't embrace his power and overcome themselves. They just say they love God. But those who really love him want to become what he wants them to become. This is not legalism. It's all through him. You can do what you want. Your flesh will anyway, but it is through his power. Those who from the heart of hearts don't care about God truly will not let his power overcome their flesh. They will not grow. They will not mature. They'll never become a tendril that becomes a branch that can bear fruit. They will remain a babe in their rebirth experience forever and ever and ever. I'm going to prove to you, and we're going to wrap it up. I'm going to prove to you what Scripture says about that, right? Too heavy a cross to bear, too demanding. And for this reason, and as an extension of this, another thing we can say about sons and daughters of God for sure is that God allows them to undergo suffering. That is one thing for sure in the life of a son or daughter of God. They suffer. Hebrews 12.5 says it really well. And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to children? My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. That is not fun. What kind of God is this? The the unregenerated, they don't want any part of this God. They want no part of a God who would, who would allow them to suffer and be scourged. But sons and daughters do. This, he goes on. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we've had father of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we much, not much rather be subjection to the father of spirits and live for verily for the days of chastening us after their own pleasure, but he for our prophet that we might be partakers of holiness. This is God's, his purpose to be partakers, his children on this earth like his only son was partakers of his holiness. And it only comes about when he allows us to suffer in our flesh, which is in resistance to his will. This chastening is equated to suffering all through scripture. See, sons and daughters of God, like God's only begotten son, suffer in this world. You don't know where your next thing is coming from. Paycheck, meal, relationship, You don't know what God has in store for you. You're walking by faith. You're forgiving when it's hard. You're loving when it's difficult. You're suffering in this world because you are doing what God told you to do. And it's insufferable to our flesh. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 8, 17, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We skip over that line all the time joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. The people who have been redeemed to heavenly realms outside the city gate, they don't suffer at the hands of God. They have everything they want. They, they're, they're, they're fine. They're not being chastened by God. They don't have a relationship with him. They are, and this I mean this respectfully, they're like bastards, he says. But sons and daughters are given suffering because he wants them to partake in his holiness just like he did with his son who didn't have a place to rest his head and who suffered the man of sorrows. Are you beginning to see the difference between those whom God saved from hell to heaven because of his son's finished work and those who choose to be his by faith? Do you see the difference? We don't need a hell for those people to suffer in eternally at the hands of God. It's done away with. But there is a night and day difference between those who are his by faith and submit themselves to him and the rest of the world who he has redeemed. Don't make the mistake of thinking it's universalism. And it's all everybody's fine and dandy Which is what my opponents want to make it seem like I'm saying I'd never say that The latter are given power to become something Those saved from hell to heaven are not Understand that And you'll begin to understand The plan of salvation is given by the Bible So as a means to help his children grow He allows them to suffer. Suffer what? Injustices, enemies, worldly impoverishments, long-suffering, exchange patience for impatience, humility when it's better in this world to be proud, full of hubris, they exchange the spirit over their flesh, God's will over self-will, all of that stuff. I'm not talking about suffering, martyrdom, I'm not even talking about suffering poverty and walking around barefoot. I'm talking about the suffering of your flesh under the skies of the Spirit, which is saying, die to yourself. The list goes on and on and on. But the suffering is summarized in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, where Paul writes, Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you And you shall be my sons and daughters He has an expectation We don't talk about that in our age of hyper grace We just talk about Jesus saving me And it's this But the scripture, 85% of it talks about stuff like this Over the salvific experience that we have In being born again Maybe 90% We know that sons and daughters of God are also led by the Spirit. As Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You're led by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And what is the fruit of that Spirit? It's love. Doesn't Scripture say about Jesus himself that he learned obedience through the things he suffered? Jesus himself, who was the Son of God, the only begotten, Can we expect to die and be sons and daughters of God And never submit our will to His? You can't It's part and parcel of picking up your cross and following Him daily God's children personally suffer in pursuit of learning to love as He loves And in this we see that God does not just call people to believe He doesn't just call you to salvation (coughs) (coughs) There's a purpose There's a hope In his calling you And that hope in his calling you Is to give you an inheritance Of glory That's what scripture says in Ephesians Got it? Couple more things I know I've gone on How else are sons and daughters Different from God's creations Or even from babes in Christ Described in scripture Oh, I know, they stop acting and thinking like babes and infants and dividing over everything under the sun. They start realizing that God's bigger than a denomination and uh, bigger than doctrines that men create and bigger than traditions. And God is loving everybody and trying to draw all to him. In 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote to the church there, and they were having a problem with backbiting and fighting inwardly. And he said at chapter 3, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you spiritual things, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have to talk to you like babies. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither are you now able. You ready? He explains why. For... He explains why they can't eat spiritual meat For you are still carnal For presently Here's how they're carnal There is among you envy, strife, divisions Are you not carnal And walk as men because of that He's saying Go back to our illustration on the board When we started off in part one We have all four groups And there's envy, strife, and divisions It's gone on too long True sons and and daughters of God, they will refuse to make war with people over doctrines and divisions and denominations. They love all who are around them, everybody. They won't do the tug of war the way our denominationally inclined brothers and sisters do. In Hebrews chapter five, I'm gonna really lay one on you now. You've heard me talk about this before. There's a character named Melchizedek. And 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 Paul says this talking about Melchizedek of whom we have many things to say that are hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. I can't talk about Melchizedek because you are so dull of hearing for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such that have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of the use of their senses exercise to discern both good and evil. You got all that? That leads us right into chapter 6. And listen to the first three verses. They're going to blow your mind if you haven't considered them. Having said to those people, you're milk drinkers. I can't even talk to you about Melchizedek, you're so weak in the faith and and nurtured on milk. He says, therefore, as a result of everything I have said in chapter five, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Did you hear that? Leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works And of faith toward God. Do you hear that? Let's not talk about faith toward God anymore and repentance from dead works. Let's not keep going on the principles of the doctrines of Christ. Let's move on to perfection, the writer says. And let's not do the doctrines of baptisms and the laying on of hands and resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. You're going to hell. They're going to hell. Let's not keep going down that road. And this we will do if God permits. You know what the writer of Hebrews is saying there? He is saying it's astounding. He first tells them, you're milk drinkers. I can't teach you about deeper things. And then he says, therefore, leave. The, the, the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Why? Because you've already established them. He doesn't mean leave them, abandon them. He means you've established them. You've laid the principles, the foundation. You understand what Christ did and who he was, that he saved you. He gave his life on the cross. Move on. Stop talking forever about... Uh, laying another foundation for repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. I can't believe he uses that. And of faith toward God and of doctrines of baptisms and laying on of hands and resurrection. Stop arguing. Stop relaying all that. You've heard it taught. Go on to perfection, he says. What is perfection? What's the perfection he's telling them to go on to? The perfection of love. The royal law of love found in James. Move on to that. Yes, you've been saved. Yes, you know Jesus died on the cross. Yes, you know the Holy Spirit's with you. Yes, you know that everybody will be resurrected. Stop talking about laying on of hands and all the other. Move on to love. That is how people will know that you are my sons and daughters, that you are my disciples. These people that are religionists, they laugh at love. They make fun of it. They think it's funny. They think it's antiquated. That's why we started part one off with my story about the Elvis Costello and what's so funny about peace, love, and understanding. That is what God is about. But in our day, we're so afraid. We're so afraid to love that way. That, you know, we think that if we don't love certain people, we make God happy. It's so ridiculous. Let's move on in perfection of loving and receiving all. In Jesus' name. God will figure out the difference. He'll separate the sheep from the goats, or however you want to put it. But our job as Christians is to be sons and daughters who love. This will only happen when we embrace what God has set up, as proven in shows 1, 2, and 3 of Redux. God set it up where he's going to tear down material religion And he's going to build a faith in the hearts of individuals. Only when we understand that and that all human beings have been reconciled to God by his son, are we going to be able to stop judging, stop hating, stop getting angry with each other, stop denominationalizing ourselves and love each other for who we are. And that's me included. I have a personal rub against men and women who put people who are seeking God in prison spiritual religious prison. I can love them better, but they I believe are held up to a different standard. But I might need to die to that too. And just just love everybody, and if they want to take advantage and put people in prison, maybe I have to die to that. I go to God with it all the time. So, but sons and daughters rise above the din and the animus that exists with human beings and religion, and they simply Love. Two more insights that make up the sons and daughters. We know that according to Philippians 2.15, they're lights to the world. It says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's the job. Finally, we know that as sons and daughters, we're rarely heralded, known observed much by the world the world has little need for what sons and daughters of God have to offer in the end it just works that way First John 3 1 it says behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God therefore the world knows us not because it knew him not the more you are a son of God, the more sold out you are to Christ and his purposes over his kingdom in the New Jerusalem, the less the world will receive you. I've seen this, you see it all the time. You become more devout, more toward him, the world will understand or relate to you less and less and less. So if you want to be popular in the world and you want to live your life for here and now, get involved with it and it will give you all the uh, accolades you want. But the closer you are to him as a son or a daughter, the less the world's going to know you. That's part of the suffering. It's lonely. And that's why we we try to reach out and, and build community of people who are like this, who are trying to love in the face of everything around them. This caused Paul to add in 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, Be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. That's how he puts it. And will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And so from here, we're going to move out and talk to our LDS brothers and sisters. From this point, this is the perspective from which I will be addressing them and the institution with uh, which they're involved and which they're in bondage to. And the principles and doctrines of that religion and the temple rites and all those laws that are heaped upon them are hindering the sons and daughters of God in that religion from truly loving the way they could. And that is how we're going to talk about them. That you have to understand if you embrace a living prophet who says this, you're inserting something between you and the person you hold up as your savior. We're going to talk to them reasonably and rationally. And anybody else of any other religion, brick and mortar, who thinks that those things are necessary are still viable in the world today. And and our approach will continue to be to inform people that Christ Jesus came and saved the world from sin and death. That all have been reconciled to God. And that is the great news. That's the only great news that you can imagine. And that we are going to talk to them about the spiritual bondage that is found in religion and that is uh, heaped upon us by men and women who think that they need to insert themselves and their views between an individual and man. And finally, we are here in the ministry and on heart to encourage everyone who seeks God in spirit and truth to love better, to love best, to, to increase their love by increasing their faith and the reciprocity of how that works. And I hope that makes some sense. We have literally 45 seconds. We have no calls. And that's okay. Next week, prepare for Monday night. We're going to give you part one. And part two, we're going to give you the calls, the emails, and a time to converse with each other about the content provided on the night before. Uh, Remember this Sunday, September 1st, 1130 a.m. Join us if you're in Utah or in this area for our hot dog chips and whatever, drinks, open water, baptism. And if not that, join us next week here on Heart of the Matter.